to the Bards FM podcast. This is Scott Kesterson, and tonight you're listening to Whose Side Are We On? This war is real. Fighting is everything. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Tempt not the righteous man to draw his sword. Conviction, righteousness, ruthlessness. To understand tolerance, you have to understand the line of intolerance. War is the teacher, soldiers are the students. They become the bards of war. Good evening, patriots. And it is Wednesday, July 6th in the year 2022. I have to apologize today for canceling Bended Knee. I was out at the other property and didn't expect to be out there as long as I was. Had a, a visit from some great neighbors who came over and wanted to pray. And it took a little more time. And it so didn't have my remote kit with me. But we'll, I'll make sure that doesn't happen again. But anyway, before we begin tonight, make sure you're taking care of your sleep and all the essential things we need in our household right now to ensure good sleep and good living. MyPillow.com forward slash Bards is the Bards Nation's landing page, and it's a fantastic location to go to get the greatest sales and latest sales on MyPillow. If you head on over there, MyPillow.com forward slash Bards, your promo code is Bards, B-A-R-D-S, and you'll see all the latest specials with a flash sale right now going on on my pillows for 1988 my slippers with a new all-terrain tread for 49.98 that's $90 off and many many more things but i want to draw your attention to one particular product and it's the Vanessa Horabano Lion of Judah painting and that's scroll down a little bit on the page those are on sale right now for $28 or a beautiful print done in the honor of Revelations 5:5 Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. It's a print done with very high quality, very low reflection finish on it, and it's a beautiful piece. So I would encourage you to take a look at it. It's another nice addition to the home and part of setting up our home temple, so to speak, our home home sovereign spaces, is to give us that inspiration of the things that help us continue to go strong during these times. This is one of these. So check out MyPillow.com forward slash Bards. Your promo code is Bards. All sorts of incredible savings on things you need for your home, for better sleep, for the bathroom with great towels as an example, great mattresses, mattress toppers. But they also have a few of these essential, exceptional products like this print, of the Lion of Judah, which you can find on the Bards Nation's landing page, mypillow.com forward slash Bards, an exceptional addition to the home and something that keeps us focused clearly on what their real fight is. So mypillow.com forward slash Bards, promo code Bards. And of course, if you want to speak to a real live person, you can call 800-975-2939, 800-975-2939. And a Patriot Pillow Counselor is will be on standby to take you through the happiness of all the great products of MyPillow.com. Patriots, one of the things that we are all kind of being bounced around on back and forth is this idea of taking sides. Right now, we're kind of in this duality, this black and white. You're either going to be a liberal or a conservative, a Democrat or a Republican. And at the end of the day, a lot of this nonsense is itself just distractions in the real issues of things because Many of these issues don't fall along a simple division, and that's part of the issue of keeping people divided. I want to read to you a very important passage, which I think relevant is very relevant tonight, and it's Joshua 5.13. Now it came about when Joshua was, in Jericho, was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing opposite him with sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or are you for our adversaries? He said, no, rather I indeed come now as captain of the host of the Lord. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and bowed down and said to him, what has my Lord to say 
to his servant. The captain of the Lord's host said to Joshua, Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. We often forget that it's from a perspective of God's perspective, this nonsense of bifurcation, these dualities of things actually don't exist. That we are all being puppeteered in a time, and we have to get wise to this and start realizing what part of this game we really fall on. Now, I've talked about this at length over over the last year or so, more than that actually, probably the last three years, of this idea of an exodus. And the exodus is really fundamental to everything that we are currently doing. We are witnessing the collapse of a global integrated cabal. It's a, it's a system of control and enslavement that has been engineered over the last thousand plus years. And it was designed in such a way to secretly lure us in without us really realizing what was happening and to have us use our own free will to enslave ourselves through the various mechanisms that it set in place. Those mechanisms were always giving us a, an option, threat of some sort of, of consequence or compliance to the, to the channel which they wanted us to go. And that channel was always like herding cattle into a big pen. You could go back to the Land Closures Acts in England in the early 1700s or so, and you'll find that they look very similar to the Agenda 2030 when they forced people off the land and forced them into the cities. And in fact, I, and I'm, I'm going to have to fast forward a bit on it because it's actually the 1800s, but if you are familiar with the movie Oliver Twist or the play Oliver Twist. Oliver Twist was based on the consequence of the Land Closures Act in England, where they pushed people into these slums, into the cities, and then they were dependent on whatever work that was provided by the industrialists, so that the industrialists then would hand-select who they wanted to work. They would all be dependent on the food systems that the industrialists owned and produced. And in this whole period of time, child labor was on the top of the production scheme because it was all about keeping labor costs low, forcing families to put their children into an enslavement of work and to continually put the stress and burden on the family to ultimately break it. These plans that we're faced with today are no different. The same type of effects that we're going through with this attempt now to try to force everybody into some sort of a compliant system, electric vehicles, to try to force us out of petroleum vehicles, all in the name of some sort of good or some sort of fake idea of a cl climate change agenda that's somehow going to make the world better. The real logic behind it, as we know, we dig into that, we find that it's complete, complete erroneous, completely erroneous. And what do we discover? Well, we discover that the carbon footprint, if you want to use their own methodologies of a gas vehicle versus an electric vehicle, is almost equal. It's a net, net, it's a net zero gain. But it has a feel-good factor that people like, and because of that, there's this sense of like, well, I can pull it in my garage and I can charge it with my electricity and I don't have to go to a gas station, not taking into consequence of where that electricity actually derives from. But we're heading into this internal collapse right now of a significant system that's been designed to work and keep us enslaved, but work by distributing all of its manufacturing sectors across the world, even to the smallest parts of things that we need. So that if we build an engine here, we might be getting a critical part from China that's, say, a gasket or a seal. So if that engine goes down, there's, we still are dependent on China. You see, this is the whole integration of the system. And that system is at a, is a fragile state right now. And it's starting to unravel. And it's going to be up to us to make a decision on that path we want to take and what side we're going to be on. And I will tell you, that side is not theirs. And that side of good or bad or evil and darkness that they want to portray, and then all of a sudden we're over here on the Republican Party and we're all good, that's all erroneous. This path we have to take is a path of sovereignty. It's a path of a exodus, a breaking away, and getting back to some very fundamental principles of what made this country great, which was localized manufacturing and keeping things independent and keeping things in our own control. 
There's an article I'm going to read some quotes from. It's called The One Solution to All Our Problems. It was published today in OfTwoMinds.com by Charles Hugh Smith. And it's a little bit, the title is a little bit of a clickbait by his own admission. But I'm going to start out with this. If you don't keep the foundation, the industrial base glued together, then all the high-minded ideological and financial fixes will all be completely, utterly meaningless. When the generator breaks down and you can't fix it due to a lack of critical spare parts, that isn't a problem that has a progressive or conservative fix. Printing money and tax breaks won't fix it either, and neither will ideological fixations like global markets. When it comes down to it, manufacturing and industrial bases are the entire aspect of how we reclaim power in this country. But we don't do it by concentrating, but by decentralizing. You've heard me talk a lot about right work, which is the fourth pillar in county by county. And right work is that principle of us taking control again of our lives and taking control of our our incomes and using our gifts and talents. Some of this also means going back to go forward. It means relearning old skills to how to make things again. And some of that is dependent on us. A lot of that is dependent on us being innovative and applying our own knowledge to create new ways of doing things. We have become very conveniently dependent on all the tools that people provide us in the digital realm. So a difference between a tool in the digital realm and a tool of the past, a tool of the past will take, a, will, will take for example, an axe, or we can take a chisel, or we can take a hammer. With those tools in your hand, depending on your skill, you can make things. And you can give those tools to 15 different people, and each person can make something different and unique. Even if they're making the same thing, it will look slightly different. And those tools that you are given will last generations. They're not going to simply go away. In the digital world, we're given tools, but those tools are controlled by a master behind the scene, pretty much like Wizard of Oz behind the curtain. And those tools are updated and changed and modified. And each time we have to relearn how to function within this digital tool, knowing that what we make won't last anyway, versus what we make by hand lasts generations and generations that mentality was very of having things last was part of my grandfather's and grandparents time even part of my parents time being more conservative being stewards of what we had being conservation driven so that we weren't just a wasteful society the digital society has bled to us being a consumption and wasteful society it's a disposable society everything that we make has some sort of disposable end to it and so part of this is looking again at how we are living and making these very difficult choices and difficult sometimes and challenging definitely choices of the direction that we want to live and where we want this country to be. Our nation is accelerating quickly into this whole idea of the fourth industrial revolution into advanced sciences of modifying DNA into dealing with opening up portals with like CERN and doing advanced physics to create quantum realities within our world to bring in quantum computing and all these other things. And the question that we have to constantly ask is who's deciding that we need it? And two, what benefit does it bring us? I listened to a video the other day of one of the founders of quantum computing and his comment was very interesting because he referenced this computing experience when he was next to a quantum computer and his comment was being next to the large cubes that are these large quantum computers about the size of a small room. He said it's like being at the, at the altar of an alien god. Well, yeah, I'm sure it is because he was also, he's also one that believes that we need to bring in a and it's a necessity, we need to bring in a new era of human being, a a hybrid human, a transhuman, or even AIs that have consciousness and sentient thought. What What we see right now on a global scale with this integrated system is that without technology and without advanced technologies that work beyond our capacities, artificial intelligence, quantum computing, this system can't function. So the question really is, 
why are we pushing so hard at something that can't function without us? Or that can't, can't function unless we create an alternate of us. My mistake. So we have created a whole system that is bigger than we can manage. And we're going to create then the solution by creating an alter entity, an artificial intelligence to manage that which we created. That's definitely a definition of insanity. Because by definition there, we're talking about pursuing an outcome that leaves us removed from the equation. And yet that's the push. And the push is really driven on a couple of things. Greed, because people want to gain more power, gain more wealth. And then there's the aspect of we can do it, which just because we can doesn't mean we should because we've lost our moral base and our whole function and question of what is it really that we're trying to accomplish here on earth and what is our time here really spent and should we be spent doing? Another quote from this article today, greed is good until you sacrifice your national security and your industrial base for a few extra bucks. If you don't fix the industrial base, then the whole shebang collapses. All those little things like a judiciary, law enforcement, and food supply system all rely on a functional industrial base, by which I mean the interwoven industries that made the millions of essential parts and components of a complex industrial system. And yet what we've seen is they've stripped this away. They've moved key portions around the world. And in so doing, we have we have lost control of what we normally do, which is to manufacture things that we need and consume and we're doing and do it within our own walls. Instead, now we have to rely on parts that come from China and Sri Lanka and India and every other part of the world out here, Mexico, Brazil, Venezuela. And all of these pieces that we assemble then, everything is done on one simple principle. What's the lowest cost? to produce something. Here's a partial list just to I give you some ideas of simple things that we need that many of which are not even made here. Plastics, sealants, solvents, lubricants, gaskets, O-rings, filters, and specialized ceramics. And that is a huge list, by the way. Wires, piping, fabrics, glass, steel, lenses. Did you know that we hardly, we don't even make lenses like glass optics here anymore. If you want to get a scope with American glass, you can't do it. If you're going to get a scope for your rifle, you're going to get German glass or you're going to get Japanese glass or cheaper, you'll end up with Chinese glass. We don't manufacture the optics anymore. We used to, but we don't anymore. Same thing goes true with almost every single item that you touch unless you really dig and research. And you'll find that, and I have done this extensively over the last few years of making an intentional effort to buy only American, it gets increasingly difficult. You've heard me mention before Carson Shoes out of Portland, Oregon. They, are, they make a true running shoe, an alternate running shoe for uh, trail running. They are the only shoe company in America that makes everything here. Everything else is outsourced in one way or another. And they, including their, the, the gluing procedure and the assembly, they, he's having to use equipment that goes back to the 1950s because they don't make it anymore. All of the rest of that equipment is overseas in China. There's a sunglass company in Portland, Oregon that makes really cool sunglasses. I've got a pair. The, and I support them because they design and they assemble here and they do some of the finishing here, but the CNC machines necessary to create key aspects of the glassware, because I've had a conversation with them, are so expensive that the only place they can afford to get it done is in China. We are completely dependent on this global system, and that's how it was so designed, always to keep costs down. Continuing from this article, ideological pursuits freak out at the prospect that greed is good, markets fix everything, has failed the nation. But these blinded, but these are blinded by the ideological pursuits overtook, overlook how government funded via DARPA, NASA, and DOD 
so many of the aspects of our industry. These were, these were no private sector market. There was no private sector market to enable greed and no way that individuals in the garage could fabricate the first microprocessors. All the really hard stuff was funded lock, stock, and barrel by DARPA, NASA, and DOD government agencies devoted to national security, which includes the government's role in fostering and nurturing innovation. DARPA was ARPA back in the day. What we know about DARPA, DARPA has been hijacked, and what it innovates now is typically used against America. The whole idea in this pursuit of the military-industrial complex has driven this level of manufacturing that's out of reach for anybody unless you have high capital investment. We have a new emerging industry in this country about 3D printing, and it's, it's an amazing opportunity for small manufacturers to embrace 3D printing because with, with a 3D printer and some of the new advanced materials or abilities to use advanced materials, there's no limit to what you can make. 3D printers now and a home that you can afford can print metal. They can print plastics. They can print fabrics. They can do a variety of things. And so the ability to print that is very real. What we haven't seen yet, though, is the attempt to do that on a mass scale for production domestically. Yet Some of that is the cost of getting into it because machines are not cheap. And again, most of these machines involve parts from all over the world. Again, you bring in a technology to learn the technology. You have to, you have to literally become expertise in something massively different than what we normally do. And then you have to gain the knowledge of how to maintain it in a perfect world if a 3d printing world. For example, you would be able to manufacture all the parts you need to assemble this and to build your own machine. And that offers an opportunity going forward as long as there's a dedication to try to do things within your own capabilities, not reaching beyond into across the seas. So technology does have benefit, but the problem we have is balancing because we are trying to race so far into the future that we're not taking a step back to look at what our vulnerabilities are. And always right now in the model that we're being forced into in particular, this model is crushing us in such a way that we're being channeled to accept that only certain things can be done by hand in a garage or small shop in a home. And all of the advanced things that they're trying to make us dependent on are reliant on advanced manufacturing capabilities that are not available to anybody unless you have billions of dollars to invest. That's the critical weakness right there. And it's also the, that vulnerability is what they expect to exploit by overcompensating, by creating a need that we don't necessarily want. So that's always that's where the advertising agencies come in to try to convince you to buy some sort of junk that you don't need, but you then become dependent on it. One of these things is, the, is this constant renewal of the smartphone. How many times do we need to get a new smartphone to does basically the same thing as the old smartphone with a little bit more memory or some new advanced optics so you get a little bit better picture? How many times do we have to do that? And all along, everything within that system, if you were asked to repair or work on a smartphone, you might be able to tear one down. You might be able to do some bit of work on it. But at the same time, you're not going to be able to work on the entire system. That's going to be dependent on a software engineer somewhere, maybe in Silicon Valley. There's going to be some sort of glass manufacturer. It's going to be in Taiwan. You're going to have some sort of chip manufacturer. It's probably going to happen in Foxconn, which will be over in China. And the case is going to be a CNC-built case. It's going to be come from Foxconn in China. China, you can see the problems. And the dependency that they're creating on us is not a dependency of, it's not a freedom, but it's a dependency that takes away our freedom. And in so doing, we become, we become slaves to their products, which is not, it has nothing to do with what our country was built on. And it's the bigger question of whether we really need it. But again, Creating dependency on their products is critical to taking away our freedoms. So one thing, there's a great book that's called The Toaster Project. I'm actually going to be doing more on this down the road, but I just came across this today. And The Toaster Project, also known as Or a Heroic Attempt to Build a Simple Electric Appliance from Scratch, is a fascinating project. This book was written... uh, 
I'm looking for the author. I didn't put the author here. Anyway, I'll, I'll find it here in a second. But the, the book is a, as a study of how of a, one man taking the effort to build a toaster. And this, I'm just going to read the summary to this to kind of give you an insight. Where do our things really come from is the question. China is the most common answer. But Thomas Thwaites, and that's the author, decided he, just, he wanted to know more so in the toaster project, Thwaites asks what lies behind the smooth buttons on a mobile phone or the cushioned soles of a running sneakers. What is involved in extracting or processing materials? The an- to answer these questions, Thwaites set out to construct from scratch one of the most commonplace appliances in our kitchens today, a toaster. The toaster project takes the reader on Thwaites' journey from dismantling the cheapest toaster he can find in London to researching how to smelt metal in a 15th century treatise. His incisive restrictions on parts of the toaster must be made from scratch, and Thwaites had to make the toaster himself, which made his task the most difficult but not impossible. It took nine months and cost 250 times more than the toaster he bought at the store in the end. Thwaites reveals the true ingredients of the product we use every day. Most interesting is not the final creation, but the lesson learned. The Toaster Project helps us reflect on the costs and perils of our cheap consumer culture and the ridiculousness of churning out millions of toasters and other products at the expense of the environment. If products were designed more efficiently with fewer parts than, that are easier to recycle, we would end up with the objects that last longer and we would generate much less waste. The consumer culture derived itself actually out of producing things of quality and the American, the American uh, tradition or uh, reputation over the years was that it had built many, many things of great quality. If you look at the cars, if you look at the appliances, you look at even photographs, all of these things that were built, they're still around today. Take a typewriter, for example. There's been a revival of people wanting to have manual typewriters again. Manual typewriters, though there is one still made, it's all made in China, and it's pretty much junk. But if you want to get a great manual typewriter, you have to go back to something that's made in the 1920s, 1930s, 1940s, and even a few in the 1950s. And there's been a revival of people restoring those typewriters so that they become available. And the consumer market is quite profound. A typewriter that would have sold at $20, say, in 1940, today is selling for 220 or up to 500 or more depending on what its model was and what it was restored by. In Portland, Oregon, there are two typewriter restoration companies there. There's a, there's a big one in Philadelphia. There are, there are a number of them around the country that focus on restoring typewriters. And the point is that they actually can. These are machines that were built in such a way that they can take them apart. They can make parts for them if they need to. They can have parts custom made. Today, you couldn't do that. Imagine wanting to restore an Apple, old Apple Mac or something like this. We all know that's not going to happen. And it's the parts are not available. The software is gone. There's no updates available for an era of software, say for the, the, original, the original Mac desktop. You can't even get software for it today, and there's nothing that will run on it. The old five-and-a-quarter-inch floppy disks, they're gone. And before that, it was eight-and-a-half. Eight and a half inch flop, floppy disks, like the PET computer, which we had in our high school. That was a big deal when they brought in the first computer in 1983. And it was a PET desktop, a big CRT screen, green screen with little cursors going on for it. I'm dating myself, but that's okay. That was the era. And you can't even make that computer function today without having custom software dr- created. It has no function. But if we go back to some of the appliances of the old, where it was based on manual work and there was a touch of a human aspect in it, those are still relevant today. 
So while I can't use a pet computer or I can't use an old Mac to type a letter, I can get a, and that was done in say 1983 or one or a Mac that was done in say 1988 or 1989. I can today still buy a computer or a typewriter from 1910 or 1920 and type out a letter on a ribbon with paper that is all still able to, I can get the parts and I can maintain it today. That's somewhat of what we're talking about here, which is a perspective on legacy. And again, the choices that we're trying to make. So much of what is being forced upon us right now is a perspective that we need to move forward into the future. And there's an accelerated push to get us there. We are, we are constantly being pushed forward to being told that we need to we can't survive in this new world unless we have robotics and AI manufacturings or the mega giga plants that the giga plants that Tesla's building, where everything is built by robotics. There's no human beings involved. We're told that this is the future, and they're selling it by basically telling everybody the machines will build it all, and all you have to do is sit on the side and don't worry about anything. You can we'll give you a UBI, Universal Basic Income, and you can explore your future by doing whatever you you were designed to do, but the machines will take care of everything else. That's the future they're painting. And it's a future that ultimately replaces human beings. They're trying to build, as we know, vertical agriculture facilities that have some human over, oversight, but most of it is done robotically. Things are monitored and digitally controlled, and they talk about it in terms of efficiencies, and they talk about it in terms of mass production, both in the same breath. Because food is critical, they say, and this is how we have to do things. But these same products that they're growing can't exist unless they use CRISPR technology, which is gene editing or some sort of gene addition to these products. Modifying the genetics of the seeds is what makes that possible. Changing the, the ambience or the frequencies of the light is what allows them to pull out certain qualities in the product. So again, we're back to the same question of what is it that we really need? The life that there that this new great future is, whoever controls this fight, whether it's the Republicans or Democrats or the cabal or the, the good white hats, that future has one common trajectory. And that future is a future that we are looking at that will ensure that we are tied to technologies in deeper and deeper ways. In fact, if you water down this kind of theory of the white hats versus the black hat fight, the black hats want the technology to manage us as a, like a totalitarian entity that will oversee all the world and manage every aspect of our lives. Somehow the white hats have come up with a way that AI can be our friend. And you can see that actually play out in a, in a movie, in the fourth version of Matrix that came out this last year, where literally Neo in, encounters the future of the folks of Zion and AIs are now working together hand in hand to solve world problems, world problems that the cabal has created, not us. Missing in all of this equation is where is our relationship with God? And that's the big breakaway right there because you can chase these other white rabbits, if you will, and they'll take you places. And I don't know where that takes you. And I will tell you myself, it's not a path that I'm interested in. It's a path that it will, is constantly trying to break new boundaries of what our supposed limitations are. It's the same path that's trying to play in one way or another. They're exploring the ideas of cracking open other portals like they're doing at CERN with super advanced technologies to do what and for what benefit. And they'll try to tell you that, what that benefit is. Like they'll try to tell you that the space program that never actually went to the moon, but that one that they say that did, that somehow one of the great outputs of the space program was duct tape. You'll hear that one come up all the time. And I scratch my head and I say, okay, so you're telling me we had to go to the moon to figure out duct tape. I doubt it. But this is how we market. We see the marketing engine kick into place to try to convince you and justify all of the great innovations that we make that somehow we can't live without, Right. We somehow can't live without cell phones now, even though we did for about 2,000 years. And somehow we can't live without a computer, even though we used to write letters and have it, even in my time, letter writing was pretty common and you did it and there was a lot of greatness that went with it and a lot of thought that went to that pen and paper. 
And while I'm not denouncing in any way the instantaneous nature of some things, the benefit of that sort of rapid communication, our dependency on it is exactly what steals our sovereignty. That's the key. So as we move forward here, we again, we come back to that critical question. In the future that we're trying to build, what does that relationship with God look like? And therein is, is the biggest question of all, because once we establish that foundation, we develop the pathway that's before us. If God's going to be secondary or non-existent, then that path of technology is a, a glorious one. It's one where we become masters of the universe. We become gods ourselves, and that's ultimately the lure. And all that happens by disassembling everything, breaking it down into its component parts, as the industrial nature of things does, and then distributing that to various factories, which are done by robots in ways that we can't do, with a repetition perfection that only a robotic system can. And we become used to seeing everything in an exact replica of itself. We we lose the whole essence of the imperfections of being human. And we just become a product like everything else. And we all we do is constantly pursue this other level of things to try to escape that experience of being human. When you return back to a base and you start doing things yourself, we start to see that There's a uniqueness that develops in the way each of us to build something. A carpenter that does work on one place may not do it exactly the same in another. And yet when you put two carpenters together that are masterful, they will each do something a little different, which is their style, their nature, their way of using and mastering the tools that were given to them. There is an obsession right now with trying to move to an advanced way of being and literally living simple so others can simply live is being lost in the whole equation. So again, we layer on and on and on these, these tears of insanity that go about us to where we're trying to always fix the problems that we're creating by our very technologies. Back to this article, it's an interesting perspective here that I'm going to kind of wrap this up with, and it says, pick one, America. National security of the essential material foundation of everything, the industrial base or the global markets, maximizing greed, corporate profits. You can't have both. Choosing global markets, maximizing greed, and corporate profits profits has left the nation catastrophically vulnerable in ways few even grasp because they don't understand the fragility of the material foundation of all the goodies and systems they wrongly wrongly assume are a permanent bright light. They aren't. We're getting a taste of the inherent instability of our dependence on global markets, maximizing greed. But the full banquet of consequences has yet to be served. We're facing right now a cataclysmic moment in our history, not just as a nation, but as humanity, because we've sucked into this concept of greed. The function of global markets is not about efficiencies. It's about greed for the few. And it's about cheap junk for the many. That that outcome is where we are right now. We've become, as we've seen, dependent on corporate systems. We've become dependent on global supply chains and other supply chains. We've lost the very foundation of what gave us sovereignty in this nation. And so this is our juncture now and a choice to choose. When I've talked about county by county, and I've talked about it now for two years, at the core of that is a shift, a paradigm shift. It's a shift of saying that I want to take control of key aspects of my life. In that model, it doesn't say technology doesn't exist. But what it does say is I'm going back to some fundamental basics. I'm putting God first back in the center of my home. I'm working with myself, my children, or I'm helping others to bring homeschooling back to the center point of the home so that they have a well-grounded great education that hopefully applies hands-on type learning and practical learning that isn't just outsourced through technology tablets and technology experiences. 
We have the principles of Patriot Gardens, which is the idea of growing some or all of the food that you consume and being actively involved in that process. We have the principle of right work, which is to shift away from the dependency on corporate markets and to get your skills and talents, which each and every one of us has, to turn out something to be a livelihood that you can rely on and grow an income from. And most importantly, using what God has given you to grow that potential in your own self. We have health and wellness, which is to pivot back so that we're becoming reliant on ourselves, what we grow, what we eat, how we exercise as a maintenance of our health so that the need for an outsourced doctor minimizes. And then what we're looking at is simply people that have the expertise to do major things like set bones and do some surgeries. We have the principle of knowledge and information gain to be able to expand what we know and to be aware of what's going on in our communities, but at the same time, grow that knowledge foundation so that we can continue to grow ourselves. And we have the principle of stewardship and conservation, which in the end deals with all of the aspects of longevity of the worlds that we are in, the houses that we're in, the lives that we have, so that the things that we're acquiring, the things that we're building, the what we use and consume is done in such a way that it looks past ourselves and our immediate need towards generations beyond. The concept of seven generations, which came from the Native Americans, is a critical one because every decision that they would make, in many of the tribes would make, was a decision based on seven generations forward. So they would look at the consequence of what they did. That's something that we have to get back to because this world, regardless, has a finite amount of resources. The race to get off planet, whatever that looks like, or the race to do all these expansive things, there's always about trying to get ahead of a problem we've created. We shouldn't be that way. We have all we need in this world. If each one of us is empowered to start putting, taking charge of our lives in such a way, what that does is something even more phenomenal. Not only does it repivot our lives so that God becomes centered to us and we're working through God to find that prosperity that he wants for each of us, but the entire system becomes decentralized, not in a handful of people, but in the millions of people across this globe so that there's certain aspects to life that can never again be hijacked and controlled. That's stability. That's anti-fragile. That's the sort of system that ensures that humanity survives and survives well. And it's a sort of system that ensures that our relationship to our world, to our life, to what we intend to do in this world grows and doesn't just make us a slave to somebody else's vision. Let's pray. Father, we come to you tonight very humbled and we just pray right now for the many, many patriots out here that are seeking to follow these paths to reset their lives and reset all of our lives in terms of some hands-on aspects to regain sovereignty, to putting that church and the faith back in our homes, to growing gardens, to homeschooling, to taking care of our health, to taking charge of our, of our work and using our gifts and talents, to gaining and expanding knowledge libraries and wisdom, and to conserving and moving forward with stewardship in a way that honors you. So, Father, we just pray tonight for all the resources that people need, be blessed, they be blessed with, that they be blessed with the, the insight, the energy, the unlimited potentials that are there, and the resources needed to guide each person that seeks that through you to move forward in this world where we decentralize control. We take sovereignty back within our homes and within our lives. And we use the gifts and talents that you've given each of us to prosper in a beautiful way, to reshape this world, not as one dependent, but as one in separate and independent, viable, stable, and anti-fragile. Guide us in this pursuit, Father, and we say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. So a few things just to think about. Because in a time like this, at a critical moment, when there is so much pressure on watching a system unravel, there's always that question of what comes afterwards. Right now, there's these competing sides that are going for the same prize. They're all trying to control the world through AI and quantum. One's trying to supposedly control it for the people. The other's trying to control it for themselves. 
but somewhere in there, we never got a vote. In fact, that's just where it is. Like we're not, we don't have a vote right now. You'll hear them say things like, well, we're going to do great things and you're going to offer you a new future. I didn't ask for that. I didn't ask for the future of being dependent on more technologies. In fact, my request for a future would be much simpler to go back before we go forward, to learn to manage ourselves and our homes in such a way that we create stability, that we refoster that strength of individuality, we refoster that strength of defiance, not compliance, and generate at the same time powerful communities that stand together, innovate together, and overcome great problems together but from the ground up, not from the top down. We'll see where it goes. But on the end of the day, a lot of this is going to depend on us, what we choose, each of us, how we choose to walk, what path we choose to take in this valley of decision. The nation is being shaken. And at the center of this is our, or it's ultimately the same question that comes back again and again. All this aside, What is our relationship with God and what is it that we seek in our lives? And when we put everything under that lens, the world transforms very differently. The promises of technology, the promises of ease and convenience pretty much slips away. And we start to look at things principally as God wants us to see. And each one of us will have that answer if we seek the truth. Keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. Prayers right now are, I think, more important than anything we can be doing. It keeps us connected to Father. And with that, wisdom continues to pour. God God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God will always win. But we are here in this time, in this place, for just such a time as this. We're at war. Walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Mission forward. Patriots, I will see you tonight for Fishers of Men. Until then or until the next time. God bless and out for now. We shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe, to assure the survival and the success of liberty. Every thoughtful citizen who despairs of war and wishes to bring peace should begin by looking inward, by examining his own attitude towards the possibilities of peace. Too many of us think it is impossible. Too many think it is unreal, but that is a dangerous, defeatist belief. It leads to the conclusion that war is inevitable, that mankind is doomed, that we are gripped by forces we cannot control. We need not accept that view. Our problems are man-made, therefore they can be solved by man, and man can be as big as he wants. No problem of human destiny is beyond human beings. Man's reason and spirit have often solved the seemingly unsolvable, and we believe they can do it again. Surely the opening vistas of space promise high costs and hardships, as well as high reward. So it is not surprising that some would have us stay where we are a little longer, to rest, to wait, But this city of Houston, this state of Texas, this country of the United States was not built by those who waited and rested and wished to look behind them. This country was conquered by those who move forward, and so will space. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing, not because they are easy, but because they are hard because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept. The energy, the faith, the devotion, which we bring to this endeavor will light our country and all who serve it. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not 
What your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. has only one intent, to destroy God's light and to enslave. It has no scruples, it has no rules but one, to win at any cost. But we will never bow, for we are the remnant that will hold the line. This is war. We fight. We push. We climb. We never give in. We become the nightmare that evil didn't know could exist. We pray. We stand. We live by the words in God we trust. We fear nothing. We are the light that can never be extinguished. We are patriots. We are the digital army that will help deliver God's wrath. <laughs> 